if you look at the reality of most people, most people are living their lives on behalf of somebody else, hoping that other people will recognize them and think highly of them as opposed to just choosing into something that feels good and feels meaningful for themselves. Welcome to the Dreaming Out Loud family where young entrepreneurs come to get inspired, learn the tips, tricks, and attitude of what it takes to live their dream life. I'm your host, Morgan Nelson, and each week I'm going to bring you the most epic guests to share their stories and wisdom to help you expand your mind of what's truly possible in your world. Okay, today's guest is an international speaker, a trainer, and a mentor. He's network marketing, millionaire, business strategist, and he's been in sales, marketing, and business development for over 20 years now. He currently runs an international network marketing organization with over 57,000 people with his incredible wife, Eden, and some even call him the modern-day philosopher. <laughs> but what I, most, what I love most about today's guest is that he's just got so much freaking wisdom and value to give all of you guys, so make sure you are ready. And he's just got a massive, massive heart for giving. So please help me welcome the one and only Mr. Zach Sloven. What's up, mate? Thanks so much for having me. It's good to be here. Mate, I'm glad we can make this work. You're all the way over there in California. I'm here on the Gold Coast. Um, it's really cool just to be able to catch up with you again, have some chats because when was the last time we, we sat down? We spoke in February. February in Brisbane. Right? And yeah. um, why I'm so excited just for this chat, I said to Zach before, I'm like, I don't have one question written down. I have absolutely no idea where this show is going to go because last time we sat down, we're like, hey, let's just go catch up for a coffee. We sit down for like 30 minutes, three hours later, talking about deep, deep philosophical things and <laughs> I love it. So, man, I, I'm, I'm excited that you could uh, jump on with us today, Zach. Yeah, and that's kind of story of my life, bro. Say yes, figure out the rest. Yeah, I love it. Well, man, why don't you take us all the way back I'd let the listeners hear your entire story. Um, where did everything all start from? You, you told me before you were psychologically unemployable. Um, so I'd love to hear how did this all start? How did you get into the, yeah, let's hear it. All right. Yeah. The psychological unemployability started really, I think when I was probably like seven years old, because I remember being a kid and it was that day in school when the teacher was like, what do you all want to be when you grow up? Right. And somebody's like, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, what about you, Zach? And I was like, I don't know what I want to do. I just know I want to do a lot of, uh, I want to do a lot of things at one time. So I just, I just knew I was born to be an entrepreneur. Uh, my dad owned his own business. My mom was self-employed and still is self-employed. Um, and I just think I had the bug early on and I just, I never wanted to be told what to do, you know? Um, but before even thinking about business, I actually thought I was going to be a professional athlete. And um, I trained really hard in soccer, tennis, and baseball, and, and, and eventually gave way to soccer as my only focus, and was fortunate to work my way up into the Olympic development program and all that stuff, and thought I'd be playing in college. And I hurt my back in, in, uh, in, in college, and that was pretty much the end of my career. And it sent me into a pretty deep depression because I was really convinced that I was supposed to be an athlete. So at a really young age, I started asking myself all of these existential questions along lines of like, well, if I'm not an athlete, who am I? And am I really smart enough to be successful no matter what kind of business I get involved in? And fortunately, I had a mom who would constantly just remind me and she'd always say, you're more than a bat and a ball. You're a really smart kid. You just got to apply yourself. And so I went to college and I studied philosophy in college and I started to study some really fascinating concepts that I had obviously never heard before because in high school you don't study philosophy. And I just started to really 
investigate kind of what's the meaning of life and deep diving into spirituality and questioning the existence of God and all those things. I studied different religions and, um, you know, that really started to form my mind in terms of really, really deepening into the idea of wanting to live life on my own terms. And really the day where it really kind of clicked for me was there's a term in, in Greek philosophy called eudaimonia. And what that means essentially is that you can look back on your life, lay on your deathbed and know that it was a life well lived, a life of prosperity, a life of well-being, and essentially a life of zero regret, knowing that that's the number one regret of the dying is wishing they'd pursue their passions and things like that. So I got out of college and um, had all these different business ideas. And my mom was like, look, you need to get a job. <laughs> and so I said, fine, if I'm going to work in a job, I might as well work in a field where I'm excited to be in. And so I found myself working in the professional sports arena and I started working for a professional soccer team actually. And I remember being about four or five months into that job and looking across the office above the computer, above my computer and seeing just the look of people's faces, just you saw the life sucked out of them. You know what I mean? Like they all just look like zombies. And I went home that night to my roommate at the time and I was like, bro, I was like, I, I can't do this. I don't want to live in LA anymore. I don't want to sit in traffic every day to, you know, for two hours a day just to be at this job and be miserable and come home at night and, you know, just do nothing with my life. Like I got to do something different. Well, it turned out that I ended up going on a trip up to San Francisco uh, for Halloween, partied real hard one night, was on ecstasy, have no problem admitting that. And uh, met this chick <laughs> and four years later, I was engaged, not knowing what I was doing, quite frankly, you know, cause what better way of a foundation of a relationship than meeting on drugs, right? <laughs> and um, I spent those four years living in San Francisco and really doing quite a bit of drugs and kind of being lost and trying different businesses. I found my way into working with a mortgage broker who kind of made me the president of her company. And I took a really fun, um, rode into the school of hard knocks to the tune of $200,000 because I was a young, arrogant, egotistical entrepreneur that took a handshake deal and I cost myself 200 grand. And when that happened, I got really depressed again. So depression is something that I struggled with for a very long time. And I um, went home and coped the only way I knew how, and I was to smoke a ton of weed, quite frankly. And my mom called me and said, hey, why don't you come down to LA and let's just kind of figure out what your next steps are. And I was like, cool. And so I uh, grab a book off my bookshelf and it was a book called Ask and It's Given. And I don't even know what made me decide to take that book because I knew it was one of those like spiritual woo-woo books and whatever. But I just started reading about all of this stuff that was so brand new to me. I started reading about, you know, source and the law of attraction and what you focus on you expands and you create your world through choices and you energetically can invite or remove anything from your life just based on your internal emotional set point. And I'm just sitting here like eating all this stuff up. Right. And I feel so liberated because I look at it and I go, Oh my God, I can create my reality through this whole law of attraction thing. Like no big deal. Right. So I walk into my mom's house and my mom, mind you, is a, She's a very successful psychotherapist. 
right? So she's very traditional in her approach to feelings and emotions and all that. And she goes, how are you feeling, sweetheart? And I said, I'm good. I was like, law of attraction, source energy. I was like, mom, I'm good. I was like, I'm just gonna go back to San Francisco. I'm just gonna get a sales job to make some money. Um, I'm gonna focus on attracting what I want into my life. And she's like, uh, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, I'm totally sure. So I go back up to uh, San Francisco and um, in between all this, cause you wanted the whole story, right? In between all yeah. this, I'm also playing poker um, pretty much full time to support myself, just grinding it out at, at local casinos and stuff like that to make some money. And um, like I played in the World Series, the whole deal, right? Like I was really into poker. I thought was, that's, that's the other thing I thought it was going to be at one point. I mean, you, you name it, I've, I've, I've tried it in my mind and in, and in reality and practice. So anyway, so I walk into this call center and the guy there looks at me right away and he goes, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. I was like, what do you mean? He goes, dude, he goes, look around you. Look at the people sitting in these cubicles. He goes, clearly you don't belong here. He goes, what's the deal? What's your story? And I told him about what had just happened with the woman and 200 grand. And he goes, yeah, I had a feeling. He said, let's talk. So all of a sudden this guy just starts pouring into me and he starts feeding me all these different personal development books because what he saw in me was someone that was like him, someone who'd made some choices that weren't really that intelligent and found myself in a situation where essentially I had to grind it out for money as opposed to really applying myself into my greater potential. And then one day he calls me and he goes, hey, he goes, look, he goes, I wanna take a look at a business opportunity. And um, I, need your, I need your opinion on the product because it's coffee and I don't drink coffee. Uh, you drink coffee, I need your opinion. Will you come with me to this meeting? And I'm like, cool, let's go. So I go with him down to San Jose, California. So, uh, just like a two hour drive, no big deal. And I get there and we're sitting around this table and it's all these guys in suits and they're all suited up with like beautiful shoes, expensive ties, the whole deal. I'm in like a t-shirt and jeans, right? Flip flops, like whatever. And they start passing around this coffee and I try the coffee. And up until that point in my life, it was the best cup of coffee I'd ever had in my life, ever. And it was just, it had all these benefits to it. And they said, we're gonna import this coffee from seven different countries in Africa. And I'm sitting there in my mind, bro, 24 years old, like, this is it. Everybody drinks coffee. I'm going to be a millionaire tomorrow, right? Like I'm convinced. And then they say, and we're going to distribute it using network marketing, multi-level marketing. And I literally just slouched down to my chair. I fold my arms across my chest and I'm like, nope, no way. And the reason I was really against network marketing is because I'd watched my dad try and do network marketing when I was in my teens as a way to kind of put his life back together. And the products he sold were stupid. And I just, I kind of, I had kind of anchored into the idea that network marketing only sold dumb products. And to give you an idea of what I'm talking about, it was literally a bar of soap and inside the bar of soap was a plastic toy. And the idea was after kids were done taking enough ads, they were left with this plastic toy. So in my mind, all I'm thinking is network marketing just has bad products. So I would never do network marketing. I'm going to be a real entrepreneur. So I was like, no, thanks guys. I appreciate you inviting me down here, but it's not for me. Well, that guy, that same guy pulled me aside as we walked out and he said, listen to me. And he looked me dead in my eyes and he said, listen to me. He said, Zach, you don't realize this yet. And he said, I've never said this to anybody. He said, you have the potential to be one of the most powerful and influential networkers I've ever met in my life. He said, go home and do your research on this profession. If you really get what it's all about, if you truly understand it and you still decide that it's not for you, then no big deal, we'll part as friends. And I thought, you know what, that seems fair enough. Seems totally cool. And so I went home and I, I really did some research and I really started to investigate. And what I found was that it was actually the most brilliant business model I'd ever seen in my life. And to this day, I believe it's the most brilliant business model that there is in terms of 
wanting to create leverage. But the other thing I fell in love with was I saw a statistic that the divorce rate here in the United States, and I'd be willing to bet it's probably similar for, for you in Australia, that the divorce rate could be reduced by 50% with an additional three to $500 a month brought into the household. So when I saw that statistic, I was like, wait a minute. So had when my parents been married, had my dad been doing network marketing back then when his business was struggling a little bit, then maybe they would have stayed together. So my first why, my first why was helping the everyday person just make that extra three to $500 a month as a way to hopefully help families stay together. That was my, that's what drove me. I was driven by financial freedom for sure. I wanted to be wealthy. I always wanted to be wealthy. But the idea of being able to help people just put on that oxygen mask was what got me really fired up. So I start calling all my friends and family. This is before social media. We didn't have Facebook. MySpace had just become a thing. You know what I mean? And uh, my mentor used to literally pick me up, bro, every single morning at like five in the morning. He would drop me off in different locations. He'd drop me off at like housing complexes, the mall, different schools, universities, you name it. And every single day, I had to get a hundred new names a day. That's what I had to do to learn this business. And um, so that's how I learned network marketing. And six months in, our CEO took off with the money. All of my friends and family were like, when are you going to get a normal job? You just got to be a regular guy. You got to stop chasing these pipe dreams, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, fast forward like six months later, um, I come across an ad on Craigslist. I'm looking for a job just to try and make some money. My ex-fiance is in my ear like crazy. Like you need to do something normal. You got to be able to provide, blah, 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 blah. And I come across this ad and I knew it was another network marketing opportunity. And I was like, don't click on that ad. Don't click on that ad. <laughs> but I clicked on the ad. Clicks uh, on the ad. <laughs> yeah, clicks on, for sure. It clicks on the ad. And, um, and what I found my way to was this company at the time that was, it was a $20,000 buy-in to get into this company, 20 grand. And at the time I had like 300 bucks in my bank account. So when I went to the overview, I told the people who would, who were prospecting me, recruiting me, I was like, guys, I was like, I'm dead broke. I was like, I don't have 20 grand. But the reason it was so expensive, it was real estate investment education. So you'd learn how to be a real estate investor while selling the education. And I couldn't stop thinking about it. And they also poured it into me, Ryan and Shannon. It's actually Ryan's birthday today as we record this, which is really cool. And um, they just said, they're like, Zach, they're like, look, bro, they're like, you have everything it takes. Like we've never met anyone that asks questions like you that thinks like you do for your age, you know, like come do this. Let's find a way. So I, um, I found the money. I raised the capital, mm. you know, I raised $22,500 specifically. I raised 20 grand for the opportunity and 2,500 to live on for a little bit. How did you now, do that? How did you do I that? Went out, <laughs> so. Cause so, so often people would be looking at things like that you know, they're faced with awesome opportunities all the time. And they're like, well, I don't have that. And they write off straight away instead of asking a question, well, how can I get that? Yeah. So I got really creative and, um, through their mentorship. And what I did was I enrolled at a community college. Okay. I enrolled at a local community college. And then I applied for a private student loan for the community college, even though I had no intention ever of taking any of the classes. And <laughs> This was right before the, the, the recession. It was right before banks stopped lending as loosely as they were. So they wrote me a check for $22,500 thinking That's I was this aspiring college student. That's how I got the money. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> well, it's, like, it's, like, it's like Tony Robbins says, right? We never lack resources. We only lack resourcefulness. resourcefulness. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah. So I get into this company. I make no money for months on end, none whatsoever. So now I'm 20, 22,000 in the hole. 
My uh, soon-to-be fiance is freaking out. My family is convinced that I'm in a pyramid scheme, that I lost all my money, that it's all gone. Um, all of my friends are making fun of me, you name it. And then about yeah, six or seven months in, it all kind of started to click. And in a very short period of time, I earned just under like a quarter million dollars at 26 years old. But like every intelligent 26 year old, right? What did I do? Bought a Lamborghini? No. I didn't, and I never liked Lambos, but I, but I definitely <laughs> spent it. I spent it on vacations and I, you know, I told my ex that she could quit her job. And so she spent all day by the pool drinking and hanging out and partying and this, that, and the other. And, uh, Sure enough, right as we started to make some money, the recession hit here in the States, you know, and it hit in Australia also, obviously. And the real estate market crashed and we couldn't get funding and our real estate deals were collapsing and we we had bad partnerships that we had chosen into for the real estate deals that we were doing. And, uh, my ex and I, um, that company shut down and my ex and I blew through uh, about 80 grand inside of six months. And, um, two weeks after save the date invitations had gone out to our friends and closest family. Uh, I looked at her and I said, look, you're always going to be someone that requires the security of an employee minded person. That's never going to be me. And I understand that I'm not a safe guy for you at this point in your life. And you're probably not the right woman for me. So if you need to go, then you should probably go. Um, and she went, she moved back home. We called off the wedding, you know, um, and at 27 years old, I found myself living on my mom's couch, dead broke. And I think you've probably heard me say this from stage before openly. And, and I'd really spent months on end just trying to figure out the answer to two simple questions. The first question would be, what would be the least painful way for me to kill myself? And what would be the least painful way for my mother to find me? That was it. And, um, fortunately my mom, um, just every single day just kept speaking life into me, you know? And kept saying, like, look, you got to get a job and just put one foot in front of the other. And I found myself slowly but surely kind of working my way back into some of the personal development I had read before and getting back to finding out who I am and learning how to fall in love with myself in a really authentic and real way. And um, worked my way back off my mom's couch, went back into consulting. I started doing online branding and marketing. I had my own little company. And then, so much has happened. I've lived so much life in such a short period of time. It's such a trip. Like there's so many details that are like not yeah. being included in this story right now. Like there's yeah. so many little things, of course, that happened um, along the way. But anyway, long story short, I ended up moving back to Utah to get into business with an old friend of mine. Turned out that he ended up um, impregnating our assistant, went on a meth binge, got arrested. I had to bail him out of jail. So that fell apart. My family's like, just come back home again. And I had a choice. I was like, all right, I'm either going to come back to LA, San Diego, or Vegas. And I chose to move back to LA. I don't know why my gut told me to move back to LA. And anyway, started another business with some old friends of mine, started making money again. And um, sure enough, my mom um, got hospitalized that summer and um, she was intubated meaning she had a tube down her throat. Um, we thought that she was, we didn't think she was going to live. And I remember being there in the hospital and I remember just every single day just saying like, please God, please universe, please source, please whatever. Like if, if this is the next obstacle that I need to overcome in my life, then something amazing must be right around the corner for me. Something incredible must be waiting right around the corner. And, um, fortunately my mom came too and she ended up being fine. And, uh, 
in November of that year. So August, five months after she came out of the hospital, um, I got a message in my online dating account from Eden. And we went on our first date and our first date was me walking to pick her up because she physically lived right around the corner. And um, we were actually, today's the, today's the anniversary of the day I proposed. So I was, we were engaged within uh-huh. nine months. Yep, we're engaged within nine months. We'd started our business already um, with our current company. And uh, that was seven and a half years ago and kind of here we are today. But that's the long and the short of it with a whole bunch in between. I love that, man. Firstly, um, your mom seems like the most incredible woman ever. <laughs> most important person in my life, for sure. She seems amazing. Um, man, I want to... Let's talk about... So you said after like leaving, leaving, like deciding to call off the wedding is huge. Uh, firstly, how, how did you know that was the right decision? Like how did you not get into... You've already sent the... In, the invites out because I know so many people listening to this right now are probably in a relationship that they think they've just got to be in it for the other person or for other reasons other than for themselves. So how do you know that that's the right decision? Well, I knew, I knew, I knew the night that I proposed to her that I didn't want to propose to her. And the only reason I proposed to her was because in my, in that old network marketing company, one of the, my kind of big uplines was moving to the East coast of the United States. And he asked me to come with him to open up some new territories out there. And I thought, right, what an amazing opportunity. So I said, yes, I want to go do this. And she agreed to come with me. And what my mom said to me at the time was, she said, Zachary, she said, you guys have been together like three and a half years. She's giving up her job to follow you across the country. She said, getting engaged and getting married is the right thing to do. And I was like, okay, I guess you're right. And I remember, bro, it was Christmas Eve. We were at her parents' house. My family was there. Her family was there. I remember walking into the bathroom, looking in the mirror, and my face was green, bro, like the Hulk. I was sick. I knew I didn't want to – I knew that she wasn't right for me. So when it came down to calling it all off, look, we were broke, and she was scared. And I'd actually gone to a personal development seminar against her wishes. She was like, you can't leave right now. And I was like, I have to go. I know there's something out there for me. I have to go. And it's probably the most important decision I ever made was to go to that personal development seminar because I met a woman at that seminar who literally knew nothing about me, nothing. And she sits me down and she goes, you have to tell your fiance that you're not the right guy for her. And I was like, How? I'm sorry. <laughs> she was clairvoyant or something like that. And she was like, you have to tell her. She's like, she said, if you stay in this marriage, she said, you're going to rob her soul of what her soul is meant to experience. And more importantly, Zach, you're going to rob your soul of who you're meant to become in this world. And she said, and I promise you, I promise you, if you stay with that woman, you're never going to fulfill the promise of why you came here. And I said, that seems fair. And so as scary as it was, ultimately I knew it wasn't fair of me to keep her in a relationship with me, bro. Cause I wasn't safe for her. Mm. It just wasn't, you know, do you think it was more a decision doing what was right for you? Like choosing what was right for you or doing what was right for her or both, both. Definitely both, hundred percent. Because that's so. People just don't look at this, and I honestly think it'd be interesting to like. I don't know how you could ever pull statistics on this, but imagine the, the amount, the statistics of people in relationships right now that are just in it because of that exact reason. Well, I, I almost got into a relationship a little while ago because I was like, man, this girl's so good to me. I sh- I should just I should just date her, and because other people were saying it's like, well, that's what you should do. That's the right thing to do. And, you know, sometimes it takes a lot of questioning and kind of, is it the right thing to do or what is the right thing to do, right? 
Yeah, I think the thing that I was able to do, fortunately, and again, my mom kind of helped me to see this, and so did these, so did the personal development I was doing and the mentors I was working with was, you know, one of the things we're really great at as humans, especially when we get into relationships early on, especially when we're young, especially when you're at a party and you're whacked out on drugs and alcohol, is you become infatuated with the idea of this person that you met. And you, I was willing, I shouldn't speak for other people, in full accountability, I was willing, and a lot of people do this, obviously, to ignore massive red flags that were being thrown in front of my face. We came from totally different worlds. Her parents' values, they were good people. Her parents are good people. Her parents' values, though, based on how they were raised compared to how I was raised, were worlds apart, right? What was important to them, what was important to me, cultural differences. Not that those things aren't bridges that can't be brought together, but there's fundamental foundational value systems that are inherently necessary for a relationship to thrive. And I knew that we didn't have those early, early on, but because I was quote unquote love and, you know, young and in love, I was willing to overlook so many things. And there were other things about her personality that I found to be quite frankly repulsive, but I was willing to overlook it again, because I'd convinced myself, right, that this was where I wanted to be. In hindsight, when I've really done the work around it, what was really fascinating was the biggest reason I said yes to moving to San Francisco and kind of going all in on this woman who I'd just met at a party like a week earlier, not even, was more than anything I was looking to get out of LA. And the reason I was looking to get out of LA is my family was in LA and I just wanted to prove myself. You know, I had a big chip on my shoulder in terms of comparing myself to my older brother who I love and is one of my closest friends, but I had a big story that he was smarter than me and he was more accomplished than I was and he was already getting married and, and this, that, and the other. And I really had this story of like, right, I need to go out on my own and I need to prove to everybody that I can be a successful entrepreneur. And that was the biggest reason. So I literally unconsciously used this, this woman or this girl at the time as a way for me to have a great reason to leave my home where I'd come from. And so when it came down to calling it all off, I, I knew I was setting both of us free. Yeah. Far out. It's so, yeah, I love it. Cause it's so funny how much I can relate to you. <laughs> it's like with so many things, it's just insane. But you were saying after, um, after you did call it off, you said you were back with your mom and you started to work on yourself and you started to figure out self-love. What does this mean? And how, how did you kind of start doing that? First thing I did was I had to be willing to look at all of the ways in which I was responsible for my circumstances. Radical responsibility, wild accountability, looking at all of the shadows, shadow parts of my ego that had led that led themselves to my ending up there in the first place, the mask that I wore, the arrogance that I showed up with, my unwillingness to learn from people who had gone before me, my thinking that I knew everything, my unwillingness to listen to people, um, my need to earn people's love, right? I had this belief that in order for people to love me, I had to be successful and make a lot of money. Um, and I also ended up uncovering that I had actually unconsciously sabotaged everything because I wanted to find out if people would love me if I didn't have money and the pretty girl next to me. And so it was a lot of that kind of work, a lot of acceptance of understanding the darkest parts of who I am. And I really believe that when you can get right with the darkest parts of who you are, then you can start to progress towards the lightest parts of who we are. And there's no denying of one or the other, right? They both exist in, in duality and in order to really love who we are. And there's a lot of talk these days about self-love, but for me, what that really means is 
complete and total acceptance of the ways in which I contributed to the results that I had in my life and the results that I continue to have in my life. And some of those results are driven by the darkest parts of me, the ego part of me, the part of me I never wanted to acknowledge previously. So it's when I was willing to hold up a mirror and look those things dead in the eye and slay that dragon that I would start to really identify who I am and who I could be. Yeah. But that, that would be such a scary thing for most people to kind of actually admit that there's some parts of me that I don't like and having shame and guilt around these things is, was there some kind of like exercises you did? Can you remember exactly what you kind of did or more like an exorcism more than exercises? <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, when I went to Utah, for example, I went in and I did something, I did experiential training or also known as large group awareness training. And it includes a lot of deep processes, but I also worked with other coaches and I worked with traditional therapists and I read every book I could get my hands on. And I listened to every, at the time CD I could listen to, you know, uh, and I just started to peel away layer by layer, layer by layer. And I really started to look back on the entirety of my life, you know, all the things and all the choices. And that was the most empowering thing that I could have ever done. When you realize that, you know, that's the thing that separates us as human beings is our choices. That's what separates us from animals, right? Like a lioness, if it's hungry, doesn't have a choice when it sees a gazelle. It doesn't have a choice. But a human can look at a gazelle and say, no, I'm vegan my choice, huge difference. You know what I mean? And when you're starting, when you're willing to look at your choices and you look back and you go, right. Yeah. Okay. I totally, I totally chose that. So I'm totally 100% responsible for everything I have in my life and everything I don't have in my life. And one of my old friends one time said, they said, everything you have, you deserve and everything you deserve, you can have. And that was good enough for me. <laughs> say that say that one more time what was that again so people can write that down everything you have you deserve and everything you deserve you can have that's so insane that's so great so everything is just a complete uh you know offspring of your thought and your choices and yeah and how do you know if you it... sorry go no not you. i was gonna say how do you know if you're making the right choices because obviously like the whole way along the way if you didn't think you were making the right choice you wouldn't make it right so every part of the journey what you're doing right then you think is the right thing but how do you how can someone know if they're making the right choices or not it's a big question it's a really big question and it goes beyond just a simple yes or no and it goes beyond a simple right or wrong it goes it's really it it it, it depends like how do you define right what does right mean is there a certain time period in which you get to evaluate the right decision? How could you argue that it was the wrong decision if it leads you to a place of perfection, right? So for example, it's very simple to look back on my life and go, right, so had I never, had I never even gone to San Francisco at that party in the first place, I never meet this woman, right? But if I never meet this woman, I also never meet Eden, mm. my, now, my wife. So was it the right choice? Yes, of course it was the right choice because it led me here. There are no wrong choices. There are, in my opinion, there's no right, there's no wrong. That's, that's, that's relative because either way, you're going to make a choice and either way, that choice is going to take you down some path. Now, that isn't to say that you shouldn't use rational and pragmatic thinking to evaluate what might be the best choice. But what I've learned is that more often than not, when we make not the right choice, but the most loving choice for us, that's what will yield the greatest benefit.
So that's something I learned from a woman named Byron Katie, who wrote a book called Loving What Is. And I did a, she has something called The Work. And that's one of the things I learned from her, which is whatever's the most loving choice for me is always the most loving choice for everyone around me. And so the most loving choice for me, going back to the, to the wedding, for example, by far the most loving choice for me was calling off the wedding, regardless of people's opinions or the shame I was going to feel in the months to come or the depression or the suicidal thoughts that my ego was going was gonna to perpetuate. Because ultimately, ultimately, had I gone against my intuition, which remember I said in the very beginning, I knew intuitively I shouldn't have married this woman, right? Ultimately, had I not listened to that small, still voice inside of me, who knows where I would be? But I'd be wherever I was meant to be because we're always exactly where we're supposed to be. And arguing with anything other than that is insane. Mm-hmm. Right? So right, wrong, I don't know. But the big question I like to ask myself is what's the most loving choice for me right now? Not what's the right choice, what's the most loving choice? And when you can learn to tune into your intuition, that's really the magic, right? More often than not, when you can move your ego out of the way, quiet the noise, really listen to that gut instinct, and then combine that gut instinct with some rational, pragmatic approaches to an outcome, more often than not, that's going to lend itself to, you know, kind of quote unquote, the good road, if you will. But yeah. there's no guarantees. There's no guarantees at all. Yeah. And it's so interesting. Um, because I think, and, and just kind of having like no actual attachments to it. So like I, I make very fast decisions pretty quickly, but I've made so many shitty decisions. But I know one thing that I I have in the past dwelled on, like, and, and this can kind of start the the rabbit hole of the thoughts and can lead to depression, right? Because I think a lot of the time people are depressed because they're living in the past, mm-hmm. you know, of, of holding on to things. And, um, you know, and I think it's holding on to past choices that they've made, right? So one yeah. thing that, that I do, I if I make choices, I, I just make choices and just go with it and accept like complete no attachment to what actually comes from it. You know, it's, it's like this big kind of just playground. Like I just view life as this big playground. Like no one's getting out alive anyway. Yep. And I just make fast decisions. But what I, what I know I'm great at now is I just don't hold guilt around any choices I have made in the past. Right. And the other thing that people do is you're dead on by saying, you know, depression, part of depression is due to holding on to these past choices. And then we shame ourselves and we guilt ourselves. Oh, I should have known better, blah, 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 blah. And we should, our, we should all over ourselves, right? <laughs> but, you know, the, the funny thing is, going back to the line in the gazelle, you can always make a new choice. And that's the thing that we do is we think, oh, I chose this. Now I have to do this. No, you chose that. You can change your mind. Well, people are going to have this, that, and the other to say about it. Great. Not your, not your business, you know? And I think that's the thing we do is people, you know, adhere to these rules as if there's some sort of book that you're handed when you're born. That's like, here's the rule book of life. And, you know, you must adhere to this rule book. And in my mind, I've always been the type of person that says, "Mm, pretty sure I write the rules. And since I write the rules, I can change the rules anytime I want. You can manipulate the game however you want. doesn't mean that there aren't going to be consequences, just like a video game, right? Just like in sports, like you make a certain move, right? You, in, in football, in soccer, you dribble into a defender, right? There's a good chance you're going to get tackled. You might get your leg cracked. You choose to pass the ball backwards. Great. You're creating some space. You move into some open space and the play flows from there. So are some moves that you make in life going to result in creating greater challenges for us? A hundred percent. 
100%. But once you get stuck into those challenges, can you choose into something new regardless of new consequences? 100%. Life is always our choice. Always, for the most part. Yeah. And so often people think that it's not. They will think that they've got to... If, yeah, if they make choices all day and, and it's just so funny because I'm really learning so much about this whole area, like this year, kind of, yeah. um, making choices for me. Like, what do I actually want? Regardless of, you know, am I going to piss somebody off? Am I going to hurt somebody else? Like within reason, obviously, sure. like, you know, not making choices of being an absolute asshole, but kind of finding that. But what's interesting, Zach, how do you, so let's say, how do you balance between, because you said you can make a choice and then change your mind. How do you balance between making choices but staying within integrity? For example, saying, yes, I'm going to go do this. I'm making a decision. And then just because, because this is, I'm trying to articulate this the best I can because I, I come across this a lot, especially sometimes when people are in self-development, right? And they're all into this, I'm, in, I'm being integrous, and, but I'm also choosing myself. But they'll say, yes, I'm going to do this. But the next minute they don't do it, they're out of integrity, but it's, but it's the reason, the excuse is, well, I just, I wasn't feeling it. So I chose not to. Right. So it, feels someone make... of, it feels out of alignment for yes. me. Yeah. yeah, yeah I think it's kind of a deflection because it's like, in other words, like, well, that was uncomfortable for me, which is growth. But how can someone make the right decisions, but still stay within integrity, even if they don't feel like doing it anymore? It depends on if they have the humility to have those thoughts challenged by somebody that they respect right? Like when I was young and I was all over the place and that's what led to me being on my mom's couch was I wasn't really willing to listen to anybody, right? So I would choose in, I would choose out, I would commit, I would uncommit, this, that, and the other. And people would tell me like, hey, if you don't do this, here's what's going to happen. Oh, I got to do it my way, this, that, and the other. So that's the big distinguisher is do they have the humility and the willingness to say, you know, let me take a different look at this, right? Is it, is it because I'm uncomfortable? Is it because it's not coming easily to me? Is it because, you know, is it because I have to take responsibility for the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the past historically, I'm not great at keeping my word and what's that really all about, you know? So are they willing to investigate the reason for being committed and then uncommitted versus, you know, getting into something, giving it a real go, like a real concerted effort, and then looking at it and saying, you know what, it's time for me to move in a different direction. You know, it's time for me to choose something new. Yeah. So, so do you think it's more so just about really, yeah, understanding yourself more and, and kind of, what, what's, what's that saying? Um, I remember Lynn Haggadon said it once, but I can't, you'll, you'll know it. It's like doing the thing you said you were going to do long after the feeling in which you said it is gone. Yep. That's one way of saying it. Yep, exactly. Yep. Doing the thing you said you were gonna do long after the feeling you said it was gone or also doing the thing you said you were going to do when nobody's watching. Let's go into this. This is what we were talking about in February, right? Probably. Like doing, <laughs> what, do, what do you mean by this? How, how does someone doing the thing you said you were going to do, even if no one's watching? That's real integrity. Real integrity is how are you showing up behind the scenes? How do you speak about people? How do you speak about yourself? What are your habits like? What does your day-to-day activity look like? How do you treat the bartender? How do you treat the how do you treat the janitor? How do you treat the CEO? Most importantly, how do you speak to yourself, right? Are you getting on Instagram and Facebook and posting all this stuff about how amazing you are and authenticity and blah, 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 blah behind the scenes, you're you know, you're slagging somebody off, right? 
what's it really look like? So if I were to follow you around and this is how I've learned to hold myself accountable, I just imagine that there's a documentary film crew following me around 24 hours a day, seven days a week, like the Truman show. And people could see how I'm showing up in every moment of every day, how I treat my wife, how I treat our animals, like how I take care of myself. It's, it's how are you showing up when nobody else is looking? It's the old saying, practice what you preach. Are you practicing it when I can't see you on the field? Not just when it's game day, but when you're, it's kind of like, you know, putting in reps at the gym when nobody else is at the gym. Are you actually doing the heavy lifting? You know, are you actually being kind? Are you actually being compassionate? Are you actually doing forgiveness work? Are you actually, you know, evaluating your thoughts and not punishing yourself for certain things? Are you living what you're, you know, posting on social media behind the scenes? That's what, that's what integrity is really all about is what are you doing when nobody's watching? Mm. That's huge. Do you think that's what's keeping a lot of people kind of exactly where they are? thousand percent thousand percent that's why when people say oh, i feel out of alignment yeah because you're out of alignment that's because behind the scenes when nobody's watching you you're full of shit Am I, sorry i don't know if i'm allowed to say that on this you can do whatever you want <laughs> okay <laughs> you know like that's that's the reality is they know they know they're not being honest they know they're not putting in the work they know they're not you know they know they're not making an effort they know they're being detached they know they're sitting in the ego they know they're not really listening they know that but rather than rather than taking responsibility and saying, you know what, right, I, you know what, I haven't been putting in the work, I haven't been making calls, I haven't been, you know, um, consistent in my business or my health or anything along those lines. So I'm going to make it about something else. I'm going to make up this story that says it's out of alignment, or it's also some variation of internal sabotage. Right? They're unconsciously dropping bombs inside of their life. I mean, that's what I did. I unconsciously went to work on spending all of my money going broke and blowing up my engagement just to find out if people would still love me without money unconsciously did that and we have these underlying stories that we essentially acquire some would tell you you acquire it from a spiritual perspective ancestrally and you bring it into this life some will tell you it's a lived experience that you have at a very young age where you're four or five years old, sometimes younger, where you create a story based on an experience you have. And that story is the, is the lens through which you see the world. It's the lens through which your ego sees the world. And so your ego will fight to be right about that story. I'll give you a perfect, simple example. And I see it all the time. Let's imagine for a second, there's a little girl who's four years old, five years old, and she's had a cupcake for dessert. And she said, I want another cupcake. And her daddy says, no, you can't have another cupcake. And all the dad is saying is, no, you can't have another cupcake, sweetheart, because I don't want you to get a stomachache because it's too much sugar for you. But what the little girl hears is, oh, daddy thinks I'm fat. Daddy must not love me. I'm not lovable. And so now her ego, as a way to defend that position, will search out instances and environments and relationships unconsciously to support being unlovable being not good enough, not being attractive, not being confident, not being worthy of love. And we all do it. All of us. We all experience some sort of fundamental, significant emotional event. We give meaning to something that has almost no meaning because we're kids. We have no way of processing it intellectually. And we start to live out this unconscious story. And it's the, it's the curse of humanity. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's like, where, where, where can somebody start? Like where can someone start and try to figure out if, if they are, if they have held onto some crazy story like that and they keep repeatedly getting the things they don't actually want, but subconsciously. 
Well, I'm going back to the work by Byron Katie. I really love that. It's a really good starting place. It's a really good starting place of identifying. What was the book called? It's called Loving What Is. Loving What Is by Byron. Byron. Yep. Byron, like Byron Bay. Yeah. And then Katie, K-A-T-I-E. By Byron Katie. Yeah. I'm writing this down. That's a great way to start. I'm writing this down. So should you guys. (laughs) Yeah. And then it comes down to, you know, it comes down to doing some forgiveness work and being willing to forgive that little boy or that little girl and being willing to forgive mom and forgive dad and understand what they were really saying to you and what it really meant. And when you are willing to kind of take those steps and that's really where self-love really comes from. And I don't, you know, might people might have different theories on this. This has just been what's effective for me is one step. One is radical responsibility. I'm the one that made the choice. Even though I was four years old or five years old, I made that choice. And how easy is it to forgive four-year-old or five-year-old little Zach for making up a story that he had to be, he had to have money to be worthy and to be lovable. Now, easy for me to have created that story. Why? I heard my mom and dad fight about money all the time when I was a kid. So very easy to create the story that says, in order for me to be lovable, I have to have money. Very easy to create that story, right? Very easy to see how I did that. So now I can look at little Zach I can do work on the, I can do forgiveness work. I can look at mom and dad and have empathy, especially as an adult, recognizing how stressful life can be. I can have compassion for them. And when you start to create that clearing, right? So step one, I always talk about kind of three phases of transformation. Step one is acknowledgement, right? Just boom, acknowledging the ways in which I've contributed to the results I have in my life. Step two is reframing the experience or recontextualizing the experience. And that's usually done through forgiveness and compassion. Right. So being able to look back on the scene, literally looking at as a scene in a movie and looking at it going, how else can I look at this scene? How else can I view this chapter in my life? What else is possible? What else could have possibly been going on for my parents, for the teacher that slapped my wrist with a ruler, for whoever it was from whom I adopted this story about myself? And then the third part is create because now I've cleared the space and I have this open canvas in front of me. And now the question becomes, okay, I know, I know, I know, I know that I'm not that. I know that I'm not unlovable. I know that I'm not unworthy. I know that I'm not this four-year-old little kid that made this decision about himself that was completely irrational. And so if that's not who I am, then who am I? Well, I must be the opposite because if I formed a story with no context that says I'm unlovable and I'm unworthy, then the polar of that must be, wait a minute, inherently, like all children that are born right away, I'm lovable, I'm loved, I'm worthy, I'm desirable, I'm happy, I'm joyful. Like babies, when they come out, think about it for a second, right? We're born into love. We're born as loving. We're born as worthy. So the opposite must be true. And now I get this whole space. I get this entire blank canvas with which to create coming from the place of who am I and who am I committed to being? And for me, what I came down to is I said, who am I? I'm an inspiring, powerful, loving man. That's who I came to. That's, that's kind of what I came to terms with. That's who I want to be. That's who I feel in my, that's who I feel good about being. And so now every single day, do my actions, thoughts, words, and deeds align with someone who's inspiring, powerful, and loving. And when you start to create from that space, that's where the magic happens. That's where you move mountains. Yeah, this is powerful. I remember I, I, I met a woman once at a self-development event and we were talking about this exact thing and she's like, my earliest memory I ever had in my whole life was, um, she was an American woman, right? So you guys go and pick a Christmas tree and you cut down a real tree right at Christmas time. 
we, <laughs> it's like 40 degrees in summer here, right? So we get fake ones. But so she's walking in the yard with her and her parents when she's like, like three or four years old. And, and there's an elf, there was an elf dressed up at the yard and, and her parents said to her, like, she was like playing up, right? And they said to her, if you keep being a bad girl today, we're going to give you away to the elves. And there was an elf there. And she made it mean right then that her parents don't love her. Mm-hmm. And she was 48 years old. So 44 years of her life, been living her life in every single way as if her parents don't love her. Crazy, right? And it's so wild that we can just make up these, these things and we're just meaning-making machines. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I, what I love about it is like challenging people on things like, like everything, right? It's like, well, that means that. I'm like, well, does it? Like right. it, can, it can mean anything, like everything in life is meaningless and we attach meaning to it. So when we can do that, we really get to sit in the playground and be like, well, what do we want to make it mean? What do we want to create here? I love yeah. it. That's why people say, oh, this is what that means. Like, according to who? <laughs> like, <laughs> according to who? So can, have you ever noticed like people, so let's say they're, you know, they're, they're in this phase, right? So you've got the three phases and they're in the create phase and they want to create this new empowered version, this create this new identity. Can there, sure, there's like sometimes a bit of a detachment, right? They're, they're wanting to be someone, they're trying to be someone, but maybe they're not actually that or maybe they don't believe they're that person yet. How yeah. can they kind of, I guess, bridge that gap or have you, because um, you know what I mean? You know what I'm saying here? Well, it's guaranteed that you're gonna that you're gonna in that in that phase of creation, you're about to now you're actually going to start the hero's journey, like Joseph Campbell talked about, right? Think about like Lord of the Rings. It's like, okay, congratulations, Frodo, you're the one that needs to carry the ring. Uh, and that's where you got to take it to. You got to take it to that fire-breathing mountain. There's a good chance you're gonna die along the way. All your friends are gonna get killed. Like all of these epic challenges are gonna come, right? as a way for you to essentially come into this new identity. And why is that so? Well, it's just simply understanding how the human mind works, right? So we have to understand that our unconscious mind is designed to protect us, right? And our brains never evolve past the stage of, oh, there's the saber-toothed tiger. I don't want to die today. Fight or flight response. Reptilian brain says, get me out of here. That's our unconscious mind. That's our ego. Well, we don't have to worry about saber-toothed tigers anymore. So what is it that we become obsessed with? People's opinions, their judgments, their rejection, all of those things. So what our ego is going to do, our unconscious mind, what it's going to do is it's going to fight to the death to make sure you feel safe. And so every instance in which we go to create this new identity, the ego, which is the most loyal employee and servant you will ever have in your life, is going to fight for its job. And so every time you run into some kind of resistance, the ego is going to go, right, see it, there it is. There it is. You're not worthy. There it is. We, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't be doing this. There it is. That's not safe. There it is. Saber-toothed tiger, right? And that's really what's happening. And so what we've got to get great at doing is understanding that we can actually program our unconscious mind to go to work for us. And so when you go to work on retraining from the conscious mind to the unconscious mind, and that comes through a variety of experiences, whether it be, you know, affirmations or, you know, experiential learning, like I talked about before, but more importantly than anything, it's the willingness to kind of just dive in, just dive in, two feet in, dive into the pool, get into the ocean, like start paddling, 
You know what I mean? Knowing that you're going to get wiped out, knowing that the ocean's going to crash against the reef, knowing that you're going to get beat up and bruised. And basically what you're saying to your ego is don't worry, no matter how hard this is, at the end of the day, I'm going to be safe. I'm worthy of love. I'm deserving of success. I deserve wealth and abundance in my in my life. And so as long as you continue to move forward and demonstrate to your unconscious mind that it's safe by doing so, eventually the unconscious mind says, oh, right. This is actually what feels good for us. This is actually what's pleasurable for us. This is actually what makes me feel safe is being abundant, is being confident, is being prosperous, right? So it'll find ways rather than finding ways to repel those experiences from our life, it'll find ways to attract those experiences into our life. And that's how the floodgates start to open. But you got to be willing, just like the hero, just like Frodo, like no matter how many orcs come at you, and I'm kind of nerding out right now with Lord of the Rings analogy, right? But if you haven't watched Lord of the Rings, go watch it. But um, that's the idea. It's how willing are you and how committed are you to solidifying this new identity? You've already mastered solidifying a false identity. You've already lived most of your life committed to playing at a level that's less than what you know you're capable of. So are you willing to stand in the fire and walk through it, quite frankly, no matter how painful it can be at times, to really, really with certainty, plant your flag in the soil and say, this is who I am. This is who I'm committed to being no matter what, whatever it takes, you know? And I remember saying to my ex-fiance one night, you know, she was, we, we were out of money. She was really freaking out. She started yelling at me and she's like, you need to get a job. You live in fantasy land. My parents were right about you. Like, who do you think you are? And just in on me. And I just remember yelling at her. It was the only time I ever raised my voice to her or any woman ever in my life. And I just screamed at her and I said, I'd rather die than live the life that you or anyone else thinks I should live. Because I was so committed so committed and that's the thing you just got to be willing you gotta be willing to die for your new identity because if you're not willing to die for the new identity then you'll always live as your ego wants you to live this is huge we were talking last time we spoke about the difference of saying look at me look at me and versus here i am oh, yeah. <laughs> right because yeah. so many people would be kind of you know let's say they get off this, like I'm fired up. I'm going to create this new identity. It's very kind of easy to kind of fake it till you make it until the rest kind of catches up. Right. Is this, do you want to go a little bit into this? How do you kind of differentiate this? Like what is the difference of saying doing it for look at me, look at me versus how I am. And I don't give a shit. Yeah. So the difference of look at me, look at me is faking it till you make it, which I think is the worst advice that ever existed in the history of humanity. <laughs> It's just stupid. It just makes no sense. Like, I understand what people are trying to say. They're trying to say like, you know, kind of, you know, trick your mind into thinking one thing when it's not actually happening. And that's bullshit because when you deny your duality, and that's what I was talking about before, when you deny your dark side, when you deny the shadow, it will come back roaring in ways that you could never imagine. That's where real sabotage starts to happen. That's where you see people just put dynamite sticks on their lives and just blow stuff up like crazy. Relationships get blown up. Money goes out the bank. Trust me, I'm walking, talking billboard of this, right? So this whole idea of like faking it till you make it, that's all about external validation. That's still from the same root of unworthiness. That's still from the same root of, I need you to verify and validate who I am versus here I am is here I am, yo, like here I am. Like, yes, I snorted lines of Coke like it was going out of style in my early 20s. Yes, I failed in multiple businesses. Yes, there were times where I used women and I'm not proud of it. Yes, there were times where, you know, like I disassociated, where I was emotionally unconnected, where I was emotionally disconnected, where I wasn't where I wasn't available and willing, where I was a bad brother, quite frankly, a terrible uncle, a disconnected son. There, yes, that's who I've been. 
and, and I'm also someone who has become and is becoming loving and humble and capable and confident and willing. It's that, it's that willingness to take ownership of all parts of who we are. I think I wrote a post years ago that said something along the lines of my scars are what make my canvas a masterpiece. And so many people are so ashamed of their scars and I wear mine with pride because had I not, had I not had those experiences, I would have never learned what I've learned. I would have never experienced what I've experienced. I certainly wouldn't have the results that I have in my life right now. Had I, step, had I, had, had I kept going down on that path, bro, I was either going to end up dead or end up probably, I probably would have ended up being a decent white collar criminal. You know, who knows? <laughs> like, who knows? And I probably would have gotten caught. Like, who knows what I would have gone because I would have been completely absorbed in a suit and, and I would have been completely consumed by this need for people to see me. But when you're, when you're complete with who you are, with all sides of who we are, then you can show up from a place of, here I am, take it or leave it. Love me or hate me has nothing to do with me because I'm going to love me, all parts of me. Mm. And it's, do you, you think know, to... Well, I'll give you one last example. Yeah. The other thing I always refer to is, you ever see 8 Mile with Eminem? Yeah. All right. So, you know, the battle scene at the very end where he just basically wrecks himself and he leaves his opponent with nothing he can say? That's here I am in yeah. a nutshell. That's it. And that's how I live. That's why I'm talking openly on another podcast about having used drugs, about my choices, because what are you going to say about me? I assure you, I've judged myself harder than any person could ever possibly judge me. Guaranteed. So when I rob that from you, when I take it away from people and I own it, I'm complete. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm fine. Okay. So what? Now what? This is huge because, yeah, I love it. I love it because the people do try to do that. I think because they get caught up in things having to be perfect or them having to be perfect or comparing to social media. And this is a funny thing. Like sometimes people are like on social media, you know, they might do like a big ass vulnerable post or like here's my view on it. Like, <laughs> like, because like social media only shows like the highlight reels. But if something really crappy is happening in my life, like I, I, like I choose to just show positive things, but you know, that's why I think with this podcast or like actually getting to know someone one-on-one, you get to see kind of all of it. Um, but it's an interesting thing because people I think are always, I think it's just good to know not to compare with yourself on social media because everybody does have their own shit. Um, but a lot of the time it's just like, like my social media, I just choose, like if I'm having a really crappy day, I just, I just don't post on social media today. It's like, I'm not one to say, hey guys, in case if you felt like knowing how shit my day was, let me complain about it. But I kind of show that, you know, rawness in another way. Um, like all these episodes are completely freaking uncut. We've, we've had some ruthless conversations on these podcasts. Um, but you were mentioning that the whole look at me, look at me, it's, it's seeking for validation, right? Mm-hmm. And what are some ways so people can know? Because when I started looking into this, I was like, holy crap, I do that. That means I'm looking for validation. Why am I needing validation in this? What are some ways that people seek validation and seek well, approval media, right? it stems yeah. from unworthiness? So social media is one of the biggest ones there is. Um, people pleasing. People pleasing is a huge one. Saying yes to certain things that you don't want to say yes to. Um, guilt, feeling, doing things out of guilt is a way of external, of external validation. Oftentimes it can come 
from family and it can be really challenging, but just doing things that you know don't feel right for you and still saying yes to those things because you're so terrified. You're so terrified of what it'll mean if you say no and if you actually take a stand for what's true for you. Um, I think staying in relationships just because you're concerned about other people's opinions or whatever kind of rules or religion you might've been raised in and what that might mean, you know, I think is a big way that we do it. Um, I think that there's a, there's a number of ways we do it. I mean, if you look at the reality of most people, most people are living their lives on behalf of somebody else, hoping that other people will recognize them and think highly of them as opposed to just choosing into something that feels good and feels meaningful for themselves, you know? And I think you can just practice, you just stop. And you know, when you get faced with a decision, like what's this choice really about for me? And what is, again, what's the most loving choice for me? Not the one that's going to make me look good. Not the one that'll get my parents approval, not the one that'll, you know, prove anything to anybody else, but what's the most loving choice for me in this moment and then standing in that no matter what. And when you're willing to build that muscle over time, what'll happen is those people who you are dying for external validation from will do one of two things. They'll either start to acknowledge you and see you for who you are and who you're becoming, or they'll find a way out of your life, in which case they will create space for you to expand into the types of relationships that you deserve in your life. And I've seen that a thousand times over in my experience. Mm -hmm. Wow. Zach, this has been freaking awesome. I bet, um, man, if you guys listen to this while you're driving and you can't take notes, you should sit down and listen to this again and take notes from it because it's just been absolute fire. Man, I appreciate you so much for coming on. Where, where can everybody find you on social media? They'll find me if they find me, bro. They're my, my, just, just, just Zach Slovin. Nothing special, dude. Nothing. Zach Slovin. <laughs> man, trying to get a bio out of this guy today was like trying to freaking pull teeth eh? <laughs> so if you guys want to go find him on social media i highly highly recommend going and doing it uh, at the moment by the time we're recording this you're doing a live show every single morning anyway that people can jump on zoom is it they just jump yeah, on it's a zoom yeah i do a zoom every single morning at 8 a.m pacific standard time which is 8 a.m california time so i don't know what time that is in australia no idea no idea but um yeah it's just like an op- i started at the beginning of this whole thing you know i I am, we went into lockdown and I just, I knew intuitively that people were going to want to have a safe space to kind of just talk and process and just get some coaching. And I feel really grateful to be in a position where I don't need to charge for coaching. And I just said, you know what? Hey, look, 8am every day, I'm going to open up my zoom line for an hour. And if you have something you want coaching on, then come on and I'll just do my best to, you know, coach you to the best of my ability, whether it be network marketing or general business or relationship coaching. And I mean, at this point, I think we've done like 150 shows or something like that. And right. I mean, we run the gamut, bro. We talk about absolutely everything. And so, yeah, I, I don't know how much longer I'll do them for, but they're there and they're available and yeah, people are welcome for sure. Awesome. I love it. All right, Zach, to wrap this interview up, I got one last question for you. Are you uh, ready? Um, we'll find out. <laughs> if you were to go back to your 18 year old self and give him 30 seconds of advice, what would it be? Don't change a thing. That's it. Don't change a thing. Thank you so much for listening. Guys, if you know anyone else who is as passionate for life as they are successful, then please send them my way. I'd absolutely love to have them on the show. As Zig Ziglar says, if you help enough people get what they want in life, you'll have everything you want. 
So that's why each month I'm choosing one lucky person who has left a review to have a free private 30-minute coaching call with me. So guys, if you got some value or inspiration from this, it goes such a long way. If you can just take 10 seconds and leave a five-star review and you'll go in the draw to win the call. And if you could share this with a friend, I would be forever grateful. Until next time, guys, I've got your back. Go out and dream out loud.